0: welcome in to the 48 minutes podcast on believe presented by bet online i'm ross geiger joined alongside bruce bernstein of pure hoops media and world b michael freer this is episode number 78 the evan scott episode as the 31 year old has already officiated 105 games over the course of four seasons in the nba born in south korea he played Two seasons of rugby at Radford University, and prior to his start in the NBA, Scott officiated three seasons in the G League, including the 2019 G League NBA Finals. So, with that said, I mean, uh, 31 years old—quite impressive, right, fellas?
1: Yeah, I can't even remember being 31 years old. (laughs) That's (laughs) a very very good resume. That's a very Um, good resume to have at any any time
2: period.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine doing that uh, just a few years ago and already having that uh, on my resume. So shout out to you there, Evan Scott. But before we go along any further here, the holiday season is off and rolling with NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting midseason form. BetOnline is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. With up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, BetOnline is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just with the big four. Bet online has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access anytime for almost any sport that's played, from MMA to international soccer. Head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code Believe. That is B L E A V for your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. <laughs> Bet Online, where the game
1: starts. And tonight, Bruce, we'll start with you for opening tip. Thank you, Ross. Uh, just letting our listeners know I'm kind of playing hurt tonight, but I'm going to do my best to power through. So please bear with me. Draymond Green was suspended for five games after an incident on November 14th when he put Rudy Gobert of the Wolves in a headlock while sticking up for Klay Thompson during a scuffle in the first two minutes of the game. When he completed his suspension and spoke to the media on Sunday, Green said he had no regrets about his actions. He told the media that he takes pride in being a good teammate but some of his antics have hurt the team over the years, and even his coach, Steve Kerr, criticized his actions regarding Gobert. Green is clearly loved by his teammates and Warriors fans, but getting thrown out two minutes into a game that turned out to be a three-point loss hurt his team as their losing streak reached four games with that loss. During his five-game suspension, the Warriors went two and three and slipped into 10th place in the West. Although he claims that being a good teammate is a priority, Some of his antics over the years have really hurt his teams. For instance, last year, he punched out Jordan Poole during the preseason, and the whole episode left a cloud over the team that lasted an entire season. And his suspension for kicking LeBron James in the 2016 Finals versus Cleveland cost him a Game 5 suspension when his team was up three games to one and could have closed out the Cavs. Well, instead, the Cavs took Game 5 and carried the momentum right through to a seven-game victory. And in his return on Monday night, he picked up another technical foul in the fourth quarter with the dubs ahead. The Kings came back to win the game by one. I'll bet Coach Kerr wishes he had that point back. I believe Draymond is sincere when he says that his priority is being a good teammate, but some of his selfish actions over the years call that into question.
0: Totally agree with you, Bruce. And I was watching that game last night. Uh, against the Sacramento Kings and uh, I thought Draymond Green in that second half was totally out of control and uh, he just continues to hurt this team I think he's more of a cancer than he is uh, a solution at this point in his career and uh, boy would I be regretting that contract extension so glad to have you with us Bruce I know uh, you're probably worried about uh, of course uh, the you know you want to qualify for podcast awards and you can't miss uh, if you're on the I.L. too long. So, you know, I'm glad you're you're keeping your, your eligibility up there.
2: World B, what do you have for us tonight? Well, thank you, Ross. Yeah, whenever there's a discussion about how good a coach or a player is, one of the things I like to point out is look at where the team was before he got there and look at how they were with him. This is what went through my mind when I heard the news this week that Mark Cuban is planning to sell his stake in the Mavericks. When, it, when he bought the franchise in 2000, the Mavericks were, simply put, the embarrassment of the NBA, although Clippers fans would probably like to argue that it was really them during that period that was the embarrassment. In the 10 years before Cuban got the, bought the team, the Mavericks had 10 straight losing seasons, including back-to-back seasons when they won 13 and 12 games. That's 24 wins in two seasons. They went through coaches like A Knife Goes Through Butter, Richie Adubato, Garherd. Quinn Buckner, Dick Mata, Jim Clemens, and finally Don Nelson. Under Cuban's control, the Mavericks just didn't turn their fortunes around. They became one of the premier franchises in the NBA. Two trips to the finals and a championship in 2011. You can say what you want about Mark Cuban, but you don't ever say he didn't succeed as an NBA owner.
0: Well said there, World B, and I couldn't agree more. I remember as a kid growing up, when Mark Cuban first took control of the team, one of the first things he did was he pretty much pimped out each player's locker in the locker room uh, for the Mavericks. I think they all had playstations at that time. And I thought that, boy, would it be fun to play for Mark Cuban and get a playstation at your locker. You can just hang out there with your friends and play games. So uh, t- totally agree. And uh, congrats to cubes on a, a great legacy that he's left in Dallas and will continue to have, of course, he's, you know, still going to be, uh, Participating in a lot of the ownership duties. As for my opening tip, there is one last team in the league without a single road win this season, and it's not Washington, it's not Charlotte, it's not San Antonio or Portland. It's actually the eighth seed in the West. That is the Houston Rockets. Now 0-6 on the road after Monday night's loss in Dallas. And despite the road woes, the Rockets are one game above five home one game above five hundred. And Ime Odoka. Alper and Sangoon, and the rest of the Rocket squad deserve a ton of credit for their 8-1 and start at home and drastic improvement from a year prior. But if H-Town wants to hold out any hope of clinching a play-in spot, they've certainly got to start winning some road games. They've got two more road opportunities this week, uh, and they're looking to obviously snap that, that losing streak on the road. But it's going to be a tough task. They first visit the Denver Nuggets, and then uh, on Saturday night, they have the Los Angeles Lakers in LA. Will this be the week they finally earned a road win world B? No. How no. about that? All right. All right. So we'll keep it rolling. Maybe I'll bring this back for my opening tip next week. But uh and you
2: can and you can rip me a new one if, if I'm wrong, <laughs> which
0: would not be unprecedented. Yeah, I, I mean I would love to do that. So uh you know, <laughs> go Lakers, go nuggets. <laughs> But let's go ahead and get into our first quarter and talk about some business that I'm sure you'd love to talk about, World B. And that is the new beast in the East, the Orlando Magic. And uh, World B, I'll let you take it from here. What what are, what are your
2: thoughts on this Magic team so far this season? Uh, well, you can't help but be impressed by by how they're playing. They, uh, they really opened some eyes last week when they took down the Nuggets and Celtics uh, twice in three-day span. Uh, In their building, they really, uh, I wouldn't say they're a complete team because they still have some deficiencies on offense. Uh, They're not a very good shooting team. They're getting better, but they're really not very good at this point. Uh, But they get, you know, they do the things you have to do. They are an extremely deep team. We saw this last year where they had young player after young player out there. And these guys, most of them are all back. They're doing this run right now. It's what five in a row. It's or the five in a row. It's about to be uh, another one to, um, on a uh, on Wednesday. Seven, seven in a row. Seven, it's gonna eight going to be eight in a row. Going then. for eight, eight on Monday it's night. It's going to be yeah. eight in a row. Wednesday
1: night, rather. So. Correct.
2: Um, and they're doing it without Wendell Carter Jr. The starting center, and they're doing it without uh, Cole uh, – uh, who's the other guy that was, Markel was oh Holmes. Markel Faults has yep. been out. So there's two starters basically out during this run and their bench is one of the best in the, in the, uh, the league. So they, they've really been doing it. Well, they do it defensively. They're one of the top number two in defense, number one, in the East and defensive efficiency. So they have, they have a lot of good things going for it. Uh, you know, the wins last week were impressive and they just need to keep it going. They I'd like to see him shoot a little bit better, um, but their best player, Ben Caro is shooting way better than last year. So that's a positive sign for them going forward. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Bruce,
0: the Orlando Magic, World B is Orlando Magic at that. One of the teams to to slay down the the Dragon in Boston and the Celtics there. I'm not, not sure if you got a
1: chance to watch that game,
0: but what's your take on this young Magic squad?
1: The um, Magic have won four of their last five games against the Celtics. They beat wow. them three out of four last year. And they beat them uh last week, as you pointed out. On Twitter, some of my Celtics fans that I conversed with were saying we're more worried about the magic than we are about the Bucs, which is they weren't and they weren't joking. I mean, that um, was a serious statement by some of them. Um, I don't happen to agree with that, but boy oh boy, I mean the magic are you know, they they got some badass guys on that team. I mean, look, as Worldby points out offensively, they're very, very ordinary. They're middle of the pack in most every offensive stat. Uh, but they control the pace. They play at their own speed. They're number one in fewest shots allowed by their opponents per game and number one in fewest rebounding allowed. They're number three in rebound differential and they're number five in point differential. So whatever it is that they're doing, they're finding ways you know, to not necessarily stand out statistically, but look, they're on their way to win number eight in a row uh, here on Wednesday night against the Wizards. is going to put them at uh, 13 and five. So uh, they're definitely a team to be taken seriously moving forward. Yeah, no doubt. And Bruce, you mentioned that they are
0: number one with fewest points allowed and fewest points uh, or fewest rebounds allowed in games. And that is because they've invested in so much size. I mean, this team is big. I mean, at every position they've got size, and the one guy that doesn't have size is Cole Anthony. He comes off the bench. He's an absolute bucket. I mean, this guy had uh, 25 points in 24 minutes here tonight as of taping, as they are on their way to defeat the Washington Wizards. But uh, they've, they've, they've just got a really good mix of guys. I mean, Franz Wagner taking a, another step here in his third year. Jalen Suggs doesn't put up sexy sexy numbers, but he's a winner. I mean, we talk a lot about P.J. Tucker as kind of a 3-4 that can you know, win you ball games without really putting up stats, that's Jalen Suggs at the guard position. This guy competes on a nightly basis, goes 110%, he's tough, he's gritty, um, and, and he's not afraid to take big shots. He's actually having a big night tonight. He had 22 points, 9 of 15 shooting, but that's typically not the case. And then World B, you had mentioned Boncaro. Obviously, he had a great summer with Team USA. That seems to have really translated to this year. Um, they've got a lot of good things going for them, and then to add to things, of course, with Wendell out and Foltz out, they've had some help off that bench. Joe Ingles is a guy that they signed, of course, uh, this summer. He's turning out to be a big piece for them. So between Ingalls, they've got uh, uh, Gary Harris, who's been there for a while. They do have a few sound veterans that can really help these guys out um, in the meantime and help them develop. And that's a really good thing to see.
2: You know, out of uh, their top five scorers, two of them come off the bench, and Anthony and, and Mo Wagner, as you mentioned, their bench is the third best net efficiency in the league. In other words, when their bench is out there, their bench, well, they outscore their opponent by, I think it's 4.4 points per 100 possession, which is a big deal when you're playing reserves. You, you know, you, you, you like to be in the positive, be able to outscore. Um, and I mentioned that their offense, and Bruce mentioned he's correct, that, their offense isn't anything to speak of. But in the last five games of this uh, win streak, it's going to be even more tonight because they're putting up a big, huge number here. Uh, their offense is generating about 121 points per 100 possessions. That's that's upper-level offense. And when you have that much talent, and they're pretty unselfish, there's no, you know, Bancaro is, is the man, and everybody knows it, but he doesn't act like the man. He doesn't take too many shots. He's not – yeah, you know, he's only taking about 13, 14 a night. He's just shooting the ball really well. And Franz Wagner is another guy who's about 20 a night almost. So they, they have, like you said, a lot of pieces, a lot of players that come in and get their minutes and are productive.
1: You know, Fra- um, Mo uh, played on like four, te- four teams in his first three years, He's now been with Orlando for about half of his career. He's really found a home. He's really efficient off the bench. You mentioned he's averaging 12 and a half. He's shooting almost 63% from the floor, which is a sick number. And here's something that maybe people don't often look at, but as I was kind of examining the numbers, this team, in spite of the fact that they're not a great shooting team, they do a great job getting to the free throw line. They're number two in the league in free throw attempts, trailing only Philadelphia, and Joel Embiid's responsible for most of that. Uh, yep. and they're number 4 in made free throws. So they are getting points you know again part of their controlling of the pace is they put a lot of points on the board when the clock's not moving. So um good job on them, well coached, tough, gritty team. Uh definitely someone you don't want to run into in the playoffs or any other time for that matter.
0: No, not at all. Currently third in the East, 12 and 5 record. We'll have to see if they can maintain that kind of position at the top of the Eastern Conference, but Surely have been a fun watch so far early on this season. Now, as we get to the second quarter here, surely not a team fun to watch at the moment is the Los Angeles Clippers. They are imploding and they arguably had their worst of them all losing at home to the defending champs on Monday night. That phrase sounds a little odd, but stay with me here. The defending champs were playing without their three best players, Jamal Murray, Aaron Gordon and the Joker. All while Reggie Jackson had an absolutely legendary re- revenge game, and another former Clipper and DeAndre Jordan turned back the clocks about five years, bringing Lob City back to life in Los Angeles.
1: Bruce, did you get a chance to watch that game? Uh, thankfully, I didn't, but I did watch some extended <laughs> some extended highlights. I mean, look, DeAndre Jordan had twenty one and thirteen in just his third game all season. In his previous two games, he combined seven points okay so he he had his way with Avika Zubats uh Kawhi and uh, Kawhi Leonard actually did show up in that game uh, and so did Zubats but Harden and George combined for just 17 points on a combined five for 20 shooting Harden from what I understand passed up a lot of catch and shoot opportunities which has almost never happened with him uh during his career and really, one of the guys who's who's suffered with the addition of Harden, I believe, is Russell Westbrook. He's come off the bench the last six games, and he's averaging with just nine and a half points on 38.8% shooting. He even got into it with a fan on Monday. Tough times for Russ right now, who signed a very team-friendly three-year deal before the season. I mean, very team-friendly. Uh, and he has gotten into it with fans in the past, but mostly on the road. So it was a bit new to see him go after a home fan world B
0: what's your concern level here with the Clippers so far this year after the Harden acquisition
2: uh it's definitely not going the way uh I envisioned it going um I was the only one of this group that thought it could be a success and uh I'm looking like I'm gonna get a big old uh, egg on my face for that one but you know it's a real it's a unusual situation yeah you know add it to the list uh It's a, it's an unusual situation. They're seven and nine, but their net efficiency, how much they outscore opponents per hundred possessions is in the positive. It's almost three per hundred possessions. So that's a weird position to be in. Uh, You don't see that very often. They're a terrible shooting team. Just, you know, I mentioned to Bruce before we went on the air. If you can't shoot in this league, you really don't have a chance to be a success. It doesn't guarantee success, but it certainly guarantees a struggle. And the Clippers are 20th in defensive field goal percentage, which you would think isn't that big a deal when you have Westbrook around, but he's on the bench. He's not taking all the shots anymore. He wasn't anyway to begin with. Uh, with James Harden on the court, they're only averaging about 107 points per hundred possessions. That's awful in this league. You can't, you cannot win when, and by the way, when he's off the court, they're averaging 112 points per hundred possessions. So this is working out really in their favor. They're getting outscored per 100 possessions when they have uh, Harden, George, and Leonard on the court. You're just not going to go anywhere in this in that conference with your big three getting outscored when you're on the court. There's just no way it's going to happen. So if they can't turn that around, it's it's just going to be a, uh, a disaster like we saw with the Mavericks last season once they got uh, Kyrie.
0: Yeah. And I think the biggest problem that I have from watching their offense here recently, I did tune into that game against the Nuggets and was just stunned by their performance. I mean, if you would have told me prior to tip off that the uh, Nuggets would win this game without Murray Gordon and the Joker and Michael Porter Jr. would go three of 13, I'd say you were crazy. Um, But the Clippers have a ton of ball stoppers. There's just not a lot of ball movement. I mean, maybe once side to side, but it's pretty mediocre. And off the ball, there's not a lot of cutting. The only guy that that really cuts off the ball is Russell Westbrook, who has obviously suffered playing time issues, and Terrence Mann. And quite frankly, they just don't pass him the ball. Like it just he's he's not getting many touches there, uh, especially when you got George, you know, a combination of George Harden, Russ, Norman Powell out there, along with Kawhi. So uh, they they they've got to play more of a systematic systematic uh, type offense. I mean, right now it's just your turn, my turn, and it's not producing any results. It's predictable.
2: Guys can really match up on that. will be, you have something to say. Yeah. Just to your point, no team runs more isolation than the Clippers about 11% of their, our sets are isolation. No team has fewer passes per game than the Clippers. That's And then you can't shoot. If you're going to do that, you better be able to shoot the ball and they can't do it. So, my guess is a lot of uh, contested shots, and it's it's a problem for them. You're, you're absolutely right. You, who would have thought with James Harden on the team, they suddenly become ISO and was a West <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it, there's just no, like you said, there's absolutely zero ball movement, and it obviously is not working.
0: No, definitely not working. And you know, this is a team I think we would all agree that needs to outscore teams. That that's kind of what they were banking on going all in on getting even a James Harden who does put up assist numbers. But when you have that many stars out there, you're banking on scoring more than the other team rather than, hey, we're going to lock down defensively. And uh, obviously Harden being on that defense now is another black hole. I mean, Russell Westbrook at least competes on the defensive end of things. Right now with James Harden, he couldn't keep Reggie Jackson uh, in front of him if if his life depended on it. And that really showed out on – Monday night, I mean, Reggie Jackson, 35 points, 15 and 19 shooting. And Reggie Jackson, I like to call him Mr. October just for the fun of things. Uh, <laughs> not known to be very uh, efficient player when it comes to his scoring loads. But uh, tonight, I mean, that night on Monday night, 15 and 19, just goes to show you, it was like Olay defense for, for him to either throw a lob to DeAndre Jordan or for him
1: to get a nice clean look. All I really have left to say about the Clippers is this. They don't look like a team that's outstanding at anything. They have an aging roster. They seem to lack chemistry. After the Harden deal, I predicted the Clips would finish no higher than number five in the West. And you know what? That looks pretty optimistic right about now. So, uh, you know, good luck, Steve Ballmer, because I, in my heart of hearts, I believe that you made Lawrence Frank do that trade because Lawrence Frank has to know better. He's got to know that this was not a basketball trade. This was a marketing trade. And, you know, so now you got a, you know, you got a guy that, what are you going to do after this season? He's averaging his lowest points per game since his second year in the league. Okay. So he's clearly his best basketball is behind him and he's going to be looking for big money, Steve. So, uh, you know, be interesting to see uh, if you make Lawrence Frank sign him for big bucks too.
0: Yep, definitely a business decision. And speaking of business decisions, we've reached that, the halftime buzzer. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of our third quarter. And let's talk about uh, uh, a, a team that's real close to home to me here, and that is the Phoenix Suns. They are scorching right now. Um, had a big win on Sunday against World Bees. New York Knickerbockers uh, on behalf of Devin Booker's clutch gene down the stretch. But uh, Devin Booker is officially back playing in the rotation. Durant did sit out on Sunday night. As of taping on Wednesday, he is playing against the Raptors. They are in a tight battle. But uh, we'll be, I'll start with you. You just got a nice good look at the, the Phoenix Suns visiting Madison Square Garden. Uh, what's your thoughts on
2: uh, how this team is rolling so far? Well, I could have done without what they did on Sunday, but that aside, uh, yeah, Devin Booker, the way he's playing right now, he's going to get serious MVP consideration. Uh, I thought when they got rid of Chris Paul, when they made that trade and everybody was worried, what are they going to do for a point guard? My feeling was at the time, based on how uh, Booker uh, performed when Paul was injured last year, he could stand in, stand up, and take over the playmaking role, and he really has done that uh, this season. He did it last season. He's doing it again this season. You know, they're they're eight and one when he's on the court, and including all seven games that he's, uh, you know, during this win streak. So he's an absolute difference maker uh, when they're on the, when he's on the court. They're outscoring opponents by fifteen points per hundred possessions that's number one among all players in the in the NBA who's played I think like 200 minutes or whatever so he's he's absolutely dominating when he's on the court and yeah the the shot he hit the other night he had every everybody was you know I don't blame anybody on the Knicks for that last but they were trying their hardest to keep the ball out of his hands they forced him to take a almost a fadeaway from the wing three where he ended up almost in the bench and it went in you just you know broke my my heart there as a fan, but what can you do? He, he, he was, uh, he's absolutely fantastic this season and the way things are going, he's, he's going to get, if he keeps it going, he's going to be given the serious MVP consideration. Yep. No
1: doubt about you know, that. You know, uh, books having a tough game on Wednesday night in that, in that tight matchup with Toronto, Of uh, course, he's, he is. Only, <laughs> he's only, he's only two of 11, but here's the thing. Um, <clears throat> Kevin and Devin, as I like to call them, they've been devastating this year. I mean, KD's averaging 31, Book's averaging 29. And you mentioned Book getting some MVP consideration. But if Kevin Durant isn't on your shortlist for MVP right now, and I don't mean you personally, but and it, people out there, they're not paying attention very closely. In his 17th season, he's averaging more than four points above his career average and is shooting more than 52% from downtown. That's 52% from three-point range. Unbelievable. He's having his best scoring season in 10 years, and his defense is really solid. He doesn't get enough credit for the defense. He's a very good team defender. He blocks more than his share of shots, and he rarely fouls. He's never in foul trouble. You know, he's averaging fewer than two personals a game, so he's he's out there when the team needs him. Um as you mentioned, Book returned from injury two weeks ago, and that's when this win streak began, okay? Uh, his numbers during the streak are excellent, almost 29 a game. Uh, but the thing that really, you know, beyond those numbers is, because he's out there as a threat, that's opened things up for Durant to to get, you know, easier points for himself as well. And look, when you got two guys that are getting you 60 a night combined, uh, that's pretty serious business. Uh, and one other guy I want to mention somebody that Ross is well familiar with, Grayson Allen. Yes. This guy has been an absolute godsend for Frank Vogel because Bradley Beal has only played three games, right? So Allen's picked up the slack starting 16 of the team's 17 games going into Wednesday, very efficient on offense, 12 points a game on almost 49% shooting overall and 47 and a half percent from downtown. So, He's also third on the team in minutes played, trailing only Devin and Kevin. So uh, great contributions from Grayson, one of the most hated guys in the league. Allen, just ask Alex Caruso. Yeah,
0: completely agree with you there, Bruce. I mean, Grayson Allen has been a blessing in disguise for this Phoenix Suns team. I mean, obviously, when that trade went down, it was more so looking at uh, Yusuf Nurkic to go ahead and uh, be a difference maker as the five man. I'm seeing it more from Allen and just the fact that Aiton's out of town. You don't have to feel like you're obligated to give him you know, 10 to 12 touches a night. Instead, those are obviously going to both Devin and Kevin, as you like to say, Bruce. And uh, I think a lot of the efficiency that we're seeing from both Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, there should be credit to those reserves like Grayson Allen because they're finding them in good spots. They're setting good screens. And uh, obviously, they're being... A big enough threat to where guys are having to stay home a little bit more than they probably would like to when Kevin Durant and Devin Booker have the ball in their hands, looking to be aggressive. So uh, overall, the Suns are, are continuing to roll. Eric Gordon, I mean, how long can he keep this up? He's had some big games. He had twenty-five. He destroys the Knicks. Yeah, he
2: actually I mean, did. They couldn't. He couldn't be stopped.
0: Yeah, I mean, if Eric Gordon can keep it going, Brad Beal can return at some point. I mean, the Suns are going to be uh, a scary sight come playoff time. So uh, here's, some,
2: here's something to think about with the Suns, real, real quick. When they went and played Minnesota in the middle of the month a couple of weeks ago, they finished. They beat them. They beat the the Wolves with an offensive efficiency of 146.2. They scored 146 points per 100 possessions, which is the highest offensive efficiency of any team in a game this season. And they did it against the number one defensive team in the league because they're still number one that they're the wolves are doing so well defensively that game didn't knock them off the perch for being number one they're still the best defensive team in the league and phoenix absolutely destroyed them so the potential like you said is for greatness is absolutely there and all you have to do is look at that game as as you know they're
1: sealing what they can do in this league this season You know, Gordon is, Eric Gordon was definitely an underrated addition uh, to the team as well. I mean, this guy's in his 16th season, right? You don't think of Eric Gordon as being in the league for 16 seasons, but there you have it. And he's shooting better than 40% from downtown as a 16-year veteran, almost 15 a game. And one other thing about this team that, that, you know, again, veteran teams tend to be able to do this. They do a really nice job of controlling the tempo. They get to the free throw line at a really high clip uh, and they make those free throws. They're 83.3% as a team shooting free throws, which is fourth best in the NBA. So, and I don't even think we've seen their best basketball yet because when Bradley Beal, if he's eventually healthy and comes back, this is, you know, uh, they uh, Dennis Green, the old Arizona Cardinals football coach had a famous quote one time. He says, they are who we thought they were. Well, I think once Bradley Beal comes back, they'll be, who we thought they'd be. Nice. I like that uh, Arizona
0: tie there, Bruce. Well done. Thanks. (laughs) Anyways, let's go ahead and get to our fourth quarter here. We're going to do our three-man weave, and let's start off by discussing Tuesday night's matchup between the top two teams in the Western Conference, and that is the Oklahoma City Thunder, who were visiting the Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves went on to win this game in a tight one, 106-103. World B, I'll start with you. Uh, how intrigued were you with that matchup down low between Rudy Gobert and Chet Holmgren?
2: Oh, very. Um, I was really interested to see how uh, Chet Holmgren was going to do in this matchup. Um, he was okay, not great, yeah. but you know, uh, he's going up against. Rudy, he's going up against the best defensive team in the league. He's not—he's not supposed to dominate when you're a rookie and doing that. He had a decent game. He—he uh, he didn't lack for shot taking. I think he took about twenty in that game. He led to—he led everybody. Uh, no, uh, SGA SGA had twenty-two, so he had twenty. So he—he he wasn't shy about uh, taking him. But yeah, it was a—it was a real impressive win for Minnesota to go up against that team. Um, credit to you know. Minnesota down 10 after one, came back and won the game. So, you know, they really, uh, they gave a, you know, what 61 at the half, which is very unlike them. And then the second half 42. I mean, that's, that's Minnesota basketball
1: right there in a nutshell. Yeah. I was going to mention that too. They really dug in on defense in the second half of that game. Uh, did Minnesota, uh, you mentioned, uh, Holmgren, he jacked up 20 shots. He only made six, but he managed eight rebounds, six assists, And zero turnovers, which is pretty good for a seven-footer that has the ball in his hands, you know, quite a bit, as Chet does. You know, six assists, zero turnovers. Any coach in the league would be happy with that. Um, And uh, the Wolves' bench did a great job in that game, you know. Um, They outscored OKC's bench 43-32, so that was one of the differences in the game. But Rudy Gobert looked like Utah Rudy Gobert in that game. I mean, (laughs) 17 points, 16 rebounds, four blocks. I mean, that's the guy that they traded 1,000 number one draft picks for. And it looks like, although last year it looked like they're going to regret that trade forever, right about now it's not looking like a bad trade for them. I mean, this team looks like, dare I say it, you know, Western Conference finals contender. Wow. Yeah, I mean... I, I can't argue with that. Yeah, why not?
0: But uh and we haven't even
1: to... mentioned Anthony Edwards' name yet. World B no, a- mention Anthony Edwards. He got hurt in that game too. He had to leave yeah. after uh, no, uh
2: injuring himself, landing on a dunk. So you know, hopefully he's okay and he's not anything too serious. But they won without him uh at the end of the game too. He he was uh you know, it's a weird stat. I I, I, I don't need to take it up, Ross, but real weird stat that I know or no real telling stat. Minnesota had 10 offensive rebounds. Oklahoma City had nine. But in second chance points, it was Timberwolves 19 to four edge. So they really made the most out of, you know, getting those second opportunities. And the other thing I, I find hilarious, you mentioned Rudy Gobert in the trade that everybody criticized and uh, for, you know, fair reason. They, they struggled last year. But Carl Anthony Towns was supposed to be out the door by now. He was supposed yeah. to be the next big name gone. He was going to go to the Knicks. The Knicks are all, you know, all Knicks fans were thinking about. That's kind of not looking like, if I'm if I'm Minnesota, I'm not looking to trade anymore. I'm looking to add. Let's see what yep. I can add coming at the deadline and see what we can do with here. Because, yeah, you're right, Bruce. We They got a real thing here. And, and Bruce, you uh, wanted
0: uh, World B to go ahead and say Anthony Edwards' name here. I'm surprised that you mentioned – the bench production for the Minnesota Timberwolves with that without mentioning your guy, Nas Reed. Nas Reed had a big night, 15 points a six and nine shooting I have a circle
2: here, by the way. Yeah. I knew, I was waiting for Bruce. I was not gonna I, say it. I was waiting for Bruce.
1: we were waiting for Bruce to roll out the red carpet for the Nas Reed show, but uh <laughs> Well, Nas Reed and Troy Brown Jr. really were huge in that game. Both of them came. I think Reed had fifteen and Brown had seventeen. So, you know, that's um look. I can't mention Reid every week, but thanks for bringing him up. <laughs> yeah. Well,
0: on the flip side, there's someone I want to mention that definitely needs to step up. On it. That goes to the Oklahoma City Thunder. J- Jalen Williams, the one from Santa Clara, the guard. He has uh, been struggling out of the gates here uh, recently. Uh, I know he was just injured, returned from injury in this game, was 2-10 of 10 from the field, 10 points. But overall this season, I was thinking he was going to take a big step uh, he looked great in the preseason and really has kind of faltered ever since. Um, he's a guy they really need to get going, especially if uh, anything comes about with a, a suspension for Josh Giddy. I know that there's an active investigation with that. Um, but if Giddy were to go out, they're going to be even more reliant on a guy like Jalen Williams to kind of pick, uh, pick up the the scoring load and the overall production with even distributing the basketball uh, out to some of their shooters. So uh, that's the name to keep an eye on. Jalen Williams has to be playing better if we're going to continue to think the Thunder are a contender in the West.
2: Do you guys think, do you guys think it's it's uh, hindering their development? I don't know if that's the right phrase or not. When you have a guy like SGA, who was obviously the star of this team, and Chet Holmgren, who they're trying to show out, trying to show after missing the year, when it's really the focus is on those two players at this point for this team. They're gonna go the way they go. As far as everybody else, you know, you didn't have Chet Holmgren last year. You could, you know, focus Williams could focus on his game, get some extra attention. Do you think any of that is uh detrimental so far? And I don't mean it's a negative thing to have uh Holmgren and SGA dominate the, the lineup. I'm just saying is
1: it come at a cost? I think there's something to that. I mean, you know, Jalen Williams, I think as a rookie, averaged like 14 points or something like that. Not really sure what his number is this year. I don't think it's that many. Um, but um, yeah, it's I mean, it's, okay, so it's close. But it's very, very possible uh, that you're correct about that, uh, World B, not surprisingly. My apologies. Correct,
2: or that the, the statement was right?
1: No, I'm not shocked that you were actually right about that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice. Actually, my
0: apologies. He's at 17. I was on Giddy's stat line. But he's at 17. However, just across the board, he hasn't been very efficient, um, in my opinion, in at least the games that I've watched, and uh, especially the bigger games, he seems to have struggled. So uh, definitely have to keep an eye out on the Thunder right now at this point in time. I know it's just one game, but the Minnesota Timberwolves look to be a little bit ahead of the curve there as far as some of the younger-ish teams Um, But they do have a little bit more veteran presence with Conley, Gobert, and seems to be uh, pretty straight there. Now, for our uh, second weave here, let's go ahead and talk about the Detroit Pistons. They have now lost 14 straight games, make it 15 after getting crushed at home tonight by the Los Angeles Lakers. Bruce, I'll
1: start with you. What's going on in Motown? Well, They've now lost 15 straight games after, you know, they they lost to the brutal Wizards on Monday. And, you know, Coach Monty Williams ripped him a new one after the game. He had about a 30-second press conference where he basically said, you know, "We're, we're like garbage. We had no fight in us. So you would have expected them to come out with fight on Wednesday night against the Lakers. And, yeah, they gave up 38 points in the first quarter, and they never really recovered. L.A. hung 133 on them. So now they've got 15 straight. Look, Monty's in no danger of losing his job. Uh, but I would imagine that he's got to start putting some guys on the bench. If if he's calling them out for a lack of fight and they give up 133, including 38 in the first quarter, they're clearly not paying attention or they're incapable of playing with more fight. In which case he might as well just give some other guys minutes and set some of these guys down. And, and you know, sometimes – you know, you motivate guys by taking away their minutes, right? I mean, Ross, you would know that being, a, you know, an old coach yourself. Uh, and it's funny. I was talking to World B before we started recording, and I said I was desperately trying to find one good thing to say about this team. And the best thing I could come up with is they're fifth in the league in offensive rebounds because they can't shoot. All right. Yeah. So there's lots yeah. of opportunities for offensive rebounds when you're missing like so many shots. So uh yeah, this team is a is a a dumpster fire, a hot mess, you name it. You know, Detroit basketball has never been so low. Yeah, no. And I think one of the brighter spots is Amen
0: Thompson. Obviously, he doesn't help in the shooting category, but he has been one of the few glimpses of fun, as far as a league pass watch is concerned. Will be, uh,
2: you got any stats or analysis on the on the Detroit Pistons? It's very hard in this league, the way it's designed, to be a success. If you can't put the ball in the basket, yep. The Pistons are in the bottom ten in shooting effective field goal percentage. They're in the bottom ten in getting to the free throw line. They're in the bottom ten. They're number two. It's the second or 29th how you want to look at it, in turnover percentage. How are you supposed to win? How are you supposed <laughs> to win in this league if you can't do, if you can't get out of the bottom in any of those categories? Bruce is right. They're a great rebounding team. Well, they have enough chances. You know that if you have, you know, the Houston Rockets were the best offensive rebounding team in the league last season. You know who the worst shooting team in the league last season was? The Houston Rockets. So one <laughs> one leads the other in this case. And in this league, if you can't do it offensively, you have no shot, and their best player, their players, can't shoot right now. It was my complaint about the Rockets last year, my complaint about the Pistons this year.
0: Yeah, absolutely no shooting. Boyan Boganovich can't come back soon enough. Maybe they're waiting you know, also for the December 15th trade restriction to be lifted to make a move, but – Please, for the sanity of Pistons fans and league pass watchers alike, I just hope they trade one of their four bigs for some type of shooting help. I mean, it doesn't even have to be much. It could be – oh, gosh, he used to play for the Pistons. He's now on uh, your team. Cy, Cy Mizzouic. I mean, they bring him back to Detroit, let him shoot. He's at least a good shooter. I would like to see some good shooters take take some shots.
2: So, uh, anything. Having a good – In the NBA is like you're getting, you know, teams are always looking for that. it's like trying in baseball trying to look for that middle reliever that quality middle reliever at the trading deadline nobody just hands him out. You're going to have to give up something. And really, what do the Pistons have that anybody would want at this point?
1: Well, you know, if you want Steve McCalick, I would consider Isaiah Stewart. I would consider Jalen Doran. They're because not giving you, you those guys. <laughs> okay. Certainly well, not, you're not, well, you're not. You're not getting our 13th best player, then, Steven Taylor. <laughs> you're
2: not going to trade your best shooter on the team in Isaiah Stewart this season, who's having yeah. his best shooting for a guy who are another shooter. Right? That, if they do that, then yeah, Detroit just better move uh, the franchise away somewhere else.
1: I'm just trying to help them make yeah. some kind of a move. To to mix up the chemistry a little bit. That's all. I have their best interests in mind. Oh, yeah. I swear to God. I think you're trying to help yourself out there, Bruce. But maybe. All right, uh, baby.
0: Yeah. <laughs> all right <laughs> and is, lastly for, our, and lastly for our weave, uh, Wemby has been good, but the Spurs remain bad. I mean, this team has been uh, not so fun to watch as far as wins as losses are concerned. But Wemby keeps us hanging in there because. Uh, He's a league pass watch every night for me. Uh, It's been a ton of fun, but um, one guy that really stands out in this experiment needs to die. It's the Jeremy Sohan experiment, continuing (laughs) to be the team's primary point guard. Uh, To me, this is the absolute tanking indicator. I mean, just continuing to roll that out night after night. I mean, he picks up his dribble. He's really not even going north to south on the floor. He just brings it up, drives side to side. There's just not much action with him going. So, I think it needs to be scrapped immediately, Bruce. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Showhand running the show in San Antonio?
1: What color is his hair right about now? I, it was green earlier in the year. Is, is it some? Uh, I think it's white. Is it? Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, just like he's trying to suck up to Pop, who also has uh, white hair. Look, okay. Wemby has been everything we thought he would be. Okay, nineteen points, nine and a half boards, block shots. He leads all rookies in scoring. He's tied for number one um, in the rookie rebounding race with uh, Asar Thompson, and he's number one in block shots. If he keeps it up, he will be Rookie of the Year. But the Spurs, God, they stink. I mean, they'll miss the playoffs for the fifth straight season, and they're 124-200 and 200 since the start of the 2018-19 season. But like Monty Williams in Detroit, Pop's job is not in jeopardy but I'm definitely starting to get a little bit of a Bill Belichick, New England Patriots vibe and looking at Pop's recent body of work. I've got some more to say about Pop in my closing comment, but uh, you know, somehow or another, Bill Belichick wasn't as great a coach when Tom Brady retired, and you know, Greg Popovich wasn't as great a coach when Tim Duncan retired. Go figure. Will B, anything on the Spurs? Well, when you're
2: bottom five in offensive efficiency – your bottom five in defensive efficiency, your bottom five in effective field goal percentage, and your bottom five in opponent field goal percentage. Your future is pretty much mapped out. And anybody looking, you can look for progress with Wemby all you want. And like you say, i am he's the only reason to watch this team. After that, I when he goes off the court, find another channel because you're not going to be watching good basketball. Well, unless Doug McDermott's in, right? Absolutely. Who's getting his yeah, number retired? The Kitten getting his number <laughs> retired at Creighton next month. I saw, I that. saw that. Yeah. Wow. yeah. I'm Congrats hoping we get the to, we all get the invite You uh, our show from there. Well, check your
0: mailbox. It could be in oh,
2: the, in the <laughs> mail. All right. Well, with that, we're gonna
0: go ahead and take a quick break from this action and be back with you for best bets and final thoughts. All right, we're back with my best bets, and we're going to focus in on the NBA tournament and uh, the quarterfinals kicking off on Monday night. So let's go ahead and start out in the Monday night games. That is Celtics at Pacers. I've got the Celtics in this one. I do like them to cover the spread. I think, obviously, uh, when the line comes out, they're going to take into consideration how many points the Pacers can score. But can they score against this Boston defense? I'm not so sure. I'm going to take Boston to go ahead and advance and book their trip to Vegas in this one. Clearly, the Celtics are taking the in-season tournament seriously, as we saw last night on Tuesday uh, against the Chicago Bulls as Joe Missoula was doing a hack of drumming for the point differential. So um, he's showing his cards. He's in it to win it. I think the Celtics group in general wants to win this, um, so I have them take it down the Pacers. Second game Monday night is the Pelicans at Kings. I've got the Kings on their home floor defeating the Pelicans. I don't think this will be an easy one. I think this one will come down to the final couple minutes. But uh, down the stretch, I got to go with fourth quarter Fox and that Golden One center energy that the Kings fans bring every night to try to light the beam. So got the Kings there. Now on Tuesday we got World Bees Knicks visiting Giannis and the Bucks. I've got the Knicks winning this game. I think the Knicks are going to be a little underrated heading into this matchup. Um, the Bucs, I have been pretty clear that um, I'm not too fond of how the season has started. Um, I think they will go ahead and falter down the stretch, and the Knicks will go ahead and execute and pull out a upset win in Milwaukee to head to Las Vegas and keep World beast chances of, alive of a championship.
2: Oh, I want now, that banner. <laughs> <laughs> want that banner up there with Wilton, and Willis, and Earl the Pearl, all the great ones, right up, hanging right up there in the yeah. Raptors. So oh, god! Wouldn't
0: that be something? <laughs> oh, and, and last but not least, we got Suns at Lakers. I've got the Suns taking this one. Devin Booker, Kevin Durant versus AD and LeBron. I think Booker and KD are going to want to stick it to uh lebron and his legacy and uh, i've got phoenix coming away with a big win on the road in that and uh, that is monday and tuesday's matchups we'll have more to discuss next week after these games take place so that is tonight's best bets and with that let's go ahead and get right into our final thoughts bruce i'll start with you
1: bruce you're on mute I've been sniffling and coughing and sneezing, so sorry about that. At least it took me 47 minutes into the show before that happened. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Spurs head coach Greg Popovich wasn't happy with the Spurs fans, who booed former Spur Kawhi Leonard last week when the Clippers visited San Antonio. Pop grabbed the public address microphone and chastised the home crowd for booing Leonard who was the MVP of the 2014 NBA Finals when the Spurs last won the NBA championship. Leonard, you'll recall, left the Spurs after the 2017-2018 season and won another chip with Toronto in 2019. The parting in San Antonio was acrimonious and the Spurs fans clearly have not forgotten. Nobody in the arena threw anything at Leonard or crossed a line of acceptable behavior. They were simply letting him know that they were unhappy with him for the way things ended five years ago. So Pop gets up on his high horse and lectures the crowd, saying, that's not who we are. Really? Maybe that's not who Pop is, but it was more than presumptuous of him to tell the customers who they are. Pop has been extraordinarily lucky in his career, drafting David Robinson, Tim Duncan, and Victor Wenbanyama, all number one overall picks. His five championships have made him a godlike figure in San Antonio. But instead of telling the fans who he thinks they should be, perhaps he should focus more on coaching up his three and fourteen Spurs. So, you know, the fans won't start booing him.
0: Well said there, Bruce, and could completely agree with you there as far as coming to the defense of the San Antonio Spurs fans. Will be?
2: Thank you, Ross. Has any player turned his reputation and image around in less than a year, more than Russell Westbrook? With the Lakers, he was the root of all their problems. With the Clippers, he's become a shiny example of sacrificing for the good of the team. Two weeks ago, with the Clippers off to a miserable 0-5 start with James Harden on board, Westbrook walked up to coach Ty Lue before a practice and asked if he could come off the bench to try and add a spark to the lineup. Coach said yes and the result was his first game as a reserve was win over the Rockets to snap the Rockets' uh, winning streak and snap the Clippers' losing streak. Overall, they're 4-2 and since Westbrook went to the bench. But in less than one season, Russell Westbrook has gone from being perceived as a cancer in one locker room to possibly the man who can save the season of a team in the other locker room. Life sure can come at you fast sometimes. Nice. Well done there,
0: World B. As for mine, I have a quick sound off here on the Chris Paul-Scott Foster feud that continues and is only getting worse. Last week, Chris Paul was tossed out of the Warriors game in Phoenix against the Suns quite early in that one um, after a quick discussion with Scott Foster. Now, my beef doesn't, uh, my issues aren't with the beef between Scott Foster and Chris Paul at all. I can kind of see those two kind of button heads knowing their kind of personalities through the years and the incidents that have occurred amongst them. Where my beef lands is the fact that Chris Paul had stated that the feud with Foster also involves his son, father, and Doc Rivers. Now, Doc Rivers, he's off the hook. He's a coach. That's fine. Father, fine. I mean, he's an older guy. But the son part, being a parent myself, that's where I really feel like if that is true, it's really crossed the line. I mean, I think family should continue to stay out of this. Uh, Obviously, I mentioned his father maybe being off the hook, but when it comes to a a player's kids, if that is something that's going in the back and forth there, that's just completely crossing the line. And and in my opinion, putting Chris Paul in a bad position, too, because he's obviously going to come to the defense of his son. So um, I think the NBA has really got to get this figured out. Obviously, Chris Paul also alluded to a meeting uh, a few years ago where the league did sit down between the the three parties, uh, being Doc Rivers, Chris Paul and Scott Foster, but uh, something's got to change. And uh, it's one thing for there to be a Chris Paul losing streak of 13 games uh, officiated by Foster in the playoffs, but it's a whole nother uh, if the, the, what was said by Chris Paul is true that it involves his son. And uh, I think something needs to be done if that is the case. And uh, hopefully this gets figured out because this is not good for the game. This is not good for the NBA officials and certainly not good for the future games with Chris Paul and Scott Foster. So let's get this figured out, fellas, because not a good look for anyone involved. But with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Bleed presented by Bet Online. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're all up to date in 48 on everything around the association. Take care, everybody.